What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher. And on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, your behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are, guys, on episode number 37. Last, no, not 37, number 47. Last week, we were speaking with Helen Chorley. And um, this week, we have another property investor, uh, a gentleman called Kevin uh, MacDonald. And Kevin is an Irishman who uh, grew up in the in Mayo, on the west coast of Ireland, and um, very close, in fact, to where my grandparents grew up, kind of a rural part of Ireland. And um, he has managed to break into the UK property investment market and uh, doing very well for himself. So I thought it would be a great conversation to have. Now, Kevin has written a book and the book is comes by this great name, No Money Down Property Investing. And I put a link to that book in the show notes. I've also put a link to the Audible. Uh, I listened to it on Audible initially, and then I bought the book because it's got some really valuable information in it. Now, Kevin is a Kevin's an entertaining guy, and I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. But behind the, the fun and games, there's actually very, very valuable information here. And what's really noticeable is just how the mindset shift that he went through allowed him to come back from a difficult situation. He was, you know, pretty badly in debt. And uh, within a couple of years, once he had changed his mindset, he had completely reversed all of that. So it's this business is massively dependent on your mind shift uh, and your mindset. And if you shift your mindset, you can suddenly shift your life and transform your life. So, guys, it's a long episode, but I think it's worth every minute. And so hope you're going to enjoy this episode. And without further ado, I'll introduce you to Mr. Kevin McDonald. Welcome, Kevin. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Hi, Behind the Facade. As an Irishman living in the UK, I guess the first thing to say is belated uh, St. Patrick's Day. Uh, did you get up to anything special yesterday? Yeah, I went to the pub. Um, about 26 of us, we went out. We had a great time. No, oh, yeah. no, nothing, <laughs> nothing. Um, it's like I'm getting used to these St. Patrick's Days with nothing. So that's two in a row now. Um, yeah. Stayed at home with family and that was it. Not like you could do yeah, it's funny. I've got a lot of WhatsApps with people sending me pints, you know, pints of Guinness, but in plastic cups and stuff like that. You know, so yeah. it doesn't look like a particularly exciting e- one. But even for me, all the families in Ireland, so I couldn't even meet them. So it was just like wife and two kids, and that was it. And the wow. kids are one and three, so they don't know what a Patrick's Day is. So and yeah. my wife's Latvian, so she doesn't really know what it is either. So I was on my own. Wow. Oh, wow. I didn't know that actually about you. That's interesting. Well, I was going to, I mean, we're going to get into a lot of different things today. Ironically, it took, you know, it's funny being, because I, I work in the kind of the corporate real estate area. So I'm, I was mostly dealing with, you know, big companies like Google and stuff like that and dealing with leases. And then I got involved in, um, when I was, when I started my own podcast as a kind of a, a lockdown project last year, I started getting all these kind of things. Oh, would you, will you talk to such and such a person? And would you go into, and I started to explore all these different um, personalities out there. And it took for me to actually join Clubhouse to come across Kevin McDonald. And I was like, God, that's an Irish accent. What, what's he doing up here? And, and all this. So it's hilarious how, you know, you can kind of make these connections 
Um, because I just been looking at um, the little text that you and I sent back and forth, and you're originally from Swinford in in Mayo, is not right? Mayo, yeah. yeah. Would you believe that is twenty kilometers from my grandparents? Both my 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 father's mother and father came from twenty kilometers away from Swinford. One was in Tubbercurry, and the other one was in Balahadreen. And, oh wow. uh, yeah, so it's um, it's that part of the world. And um, I'm going to get into the your backstory a little bit. Um, but before I do, just for the benefit of the audience who might not have heard of Kevin McDonald, who is, in, t- in March 2021, who is Kevin McDonald? Oh, who is he? Um, just Kevin McDonald. I'm just an Irish guy that does some property. Um, I'm in the UK, I guess I'm known as the no money down guy. So um, I've written an Amazon bestseller called No Money Down Property Investing. So it went to that that one there. I have it, it here. In my it hand. was um, number one in property and real estate, all this sort of the categories on Amazon. But it actually got to number two in all books. Oh, and right. in it was beaten by Ant Middleton, the you know Ant Middleton, the army guy. And um, if I ever meet him, I'm going to have it out with him. <laughs> yeah. But um, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> he, he beat me. So, um, but I got to number two in all books. Um, and I wrote that on the back of building up a property business using creative strategies. So things like lease options, exchange delayed completions, assisted sales, um, vendor finance. So it's like seller financing and all, all creative types of ways to do property because I was trying to get started with debt. Yeah. And I had to get into that today. Yeah, yeah. I, had to, I had to be creative around what I did. So then I wrote a book about it and it kind of took off uh, from there. So I'm now known as the they no money down guy, the creative property investing person in, in the UK. I don't, so a lot of people come to me for learning about creative strategies. I'm not as well known in Ireland, although I have done a few events over there, but mainly it's a, a UK-based sort of um, um, people that know me, which is why we only just met on Clubhouse as well. Yeah, well, for the purpose, or sorry, for the benefit of the audience, I'm actually going to put a link in the show notes to this book. Um, it's funny, I bought, um, when I when we started speaking and when you agreed to come on the podcast, I had actually bought the Audible version of it. So I have your voice and um, whatever it is about Audible, sometimes the, the speed of the people reading it, it's actually, it's quite slow. And so I have you at like 1.6 times, something like that, so that I could listen to the book like in much more faster. So you sound quite different, actually, I have to say today. To, to what when, I've been used to hearing you. <laughs> when you when you record that on Audible, they actually the person sits opposite you and they tell you you have to record it in a certain way. And I read it myself, but I'm not like a book reader. So the first chapter, if anybody listens to it on Audible, the first chapter, it's like I'm I'm stopping in the middle of sentences. It gets better as I got more comfortable and the guy got more bored. And um, but they were making you speak at a certain level. And for me, I talk really quickly. And I was thinking people would have to slow me down on Audible, but they actually have to speed it up, which kind of ruins the, um, the, the naturalness of it. But yeah. it's the way that they do it, it's weird. Well, it's but, funny you say that because I'm playing you back at, I think, 1.6 or 1.4 times speed. And you, you actually sound, it sounds like a normal conversation, but your voice is a little higher pitched than normal. <laughs> I will, well, let's get into the backstory. I mean, you, I just wanted to ask you about, you know, you're now you're living in the UK and you've got a successful property business over there, but you started in Swinford in, in, in Mayo and, you know, what was it like growing up over there and, uh, and what brought you to the UK? Um, if anybody's ever been to Swinford, you probably know there's a bypass that just goes through it. So you don't have to go through. It's a good, I know it's a good, it's a great town. Um, so I grew up in Swinford. I'm, the youngest of eight kids. So I've got six sisters and a brother, all um, still, two of them live work in Dublin. The rest are all still in, in and around Mayo. 
Um, I grew up on a farm, so my dad was a farmer. My brother is 10 years older than me, so typical Irish tradition. My brother got the farm and I got shown the road. <laughs> so I had to go fend for myself. And um, But growing up, yeah, I was just like youngest of eight kids. I'm not that big because we had a table with six chairs. I had to fight to get to it. And <laughs> so I didn't get as much food as the rest of them. I had to get the scraps. Um, so I, I went and finished school in Swinford. Um, just had normal jobs, worked in a cattle mark, my first job, because my brother did. Uh, drove tractors, because my brother did. Um, went to college in Sligo, do, to IT Sligo. And I spent five years there because I was a bit thick in school. So I had to go through the, um, the IT route. Um, and I got a degree in quality management. And then it, that, I tried to get a job, but I started working for a company called Harrington's uh, Concrete Place in Kilkelly in Mayo. Right. And then... Somebody that I knew that was in working in London came home and they met, I met them in a pub one weekend during the summer or whenever it was, Easter time actually. And they said, why don't you come to London? And I just said, ah, oh, yeah, okay. I'll, I, if there was a job, I'd go. And about a, two or three weeks later, the, I got a message saying, got a job for you in London, you want to come? So it was actually an interview. So I went to Dublin to do an interview and I showed up with the interview and I kind of just said, listen, I just out of uni, don't have any experience. I'm making concrete cubes in a, in a, in a factory in, in Kilkelly. Um, I'm probably not the right person, but I'm willing to work hard. And I didn't realize that the company was Ray O'Rourke and Son, which is an Irish subcontractor who just wants you to be able to work hard. So I got the job. So the next thing I'm over in London and um, it all just happened really quickly. So by, that was 2002. So by May 2002, I'm working for a construction company in London just because I met somebody in a pub in Swinford. He said, oh, yeah, if I had a job, I'd come. So I had no choice. So um, and then I've been here since. Um, so, yeah, the growing up bit was youngest of eight kids just normal like mom and dad mom looked at home minding the kids and dad worked hard as a plasterer and a farmer and um got all the normal stuff of growing up of you got to get a good good education and a good job and you've got to work hard for money and money doesn't grow on trees and we weren't poor but we weren't wealthy we were just like okay so parents didn't drive any cars or anything I remember I was like, my brother was 17 getting the first car that ever arrived in the house. Really? And that was a big celebration when he had a car. I was seven, he was 17. And um, I still remember it was an old brown Toyota Corolla. Um, I think he paid something like 1700 quid for it or something. And it was a huge thing in like, life because there was a car in the house. So um, yeah, not didn't have any sort of background in property or, or um, business or anything like that. Just hard work, work hard. My like my family all in jobs, um. So property was sort of not something that I grew up in. I guess it just yeah. happened. And uh, one of the things that I've read in the book um, that I found interesting because it it kind of I can relate to it in a big way is like all successful kind of property investors, you have the baptism of fire to kind of talk about, and uh, you have this kind of. Um, the, the, you know, you went and had a look at foreign markets like Turkey and Estonia and Bulgaria, and these looked like very interesting investments at the time. And you've you've got a good story. Why don't you tell us some of the some of that? I call it my entrance fee. So um, <laughs> yeah, your um, MBA. When I moved when I moved to London, I got um, you could say lucky in a way. So I actually said to Lang O'Rourke that I didn't want to come to London because it was too expensive to rent, and they said, "Well, we'll put you up in a house until you find your feet." So in 2002, they put me up in a, in a what was called a, I didn't know at the time, but it's a house of multiple occupation, a five bedroom house where five other guys, well, me plus four other guys lived there. We all worked in Lang O'Rourke. 
Um, it was people that had, say, family homes in the Midlands, and they traveled down to London to work Monday to Friday, and then they'd go home at weekends again. And there was me from Ireland, there were three lads from the Midlands, and there was one lad from South Africa, a guy called William. And we were all sharing the house. And that I shared that house till they find my feet, that I moved into that house. Langworks is a huge company. I moved into the house in 2002. I didn't move out till 2009. So I had seven, I had seven, seven years, years to find your feet. Rent. Now, living in London with free rent sounds brilliant. I was saving some good money. I mean, I was saving like, when I say good money, less than a grand a month. I was saving money that would have gone on rent. So then I thought, well, what can I do with my savings? And William was, he was working in Langerwork. He was over from, Oscar, from South Africa. And he was saving money in London and buying property in South Africa. And this was one of my first introductions to property. My first one was actually when I rented in Sligo, and when I was in IT Sligo, I was renting, obviously, in a HMO as well, a student accommodation. And my landlord had come and collect the rent in cash every Thursday. And he, he, you get talking to him after a while. We were with him for about three years. And I used to remember saying to my mom, and, you know, what a great job this guy's got. He just comes and collects the money. We're the ones studying. But I never really passed any heat. I never really thought about doing it myself until I met William. And he invited me to this three-hour property event in London one evening. So this was about 2002, beginning of 2003. So I went along and I sat in the audience with probably 60, 70 people. And this guy was up on stage talking about all the different creative ways to buy property, how you could get into property. And the more he spoke, it started to make sense to me and it resonated with me. You know, more millionaires, more billionaires, they either make their money in property or they invest their money into property. It's it's the, you know, if you're going to create wealth, property is the way to create wealth. And the more he spoke about it, the more I thought I'm all in. And he offered us the opportunity to do some training at the end of the event. And I was gone. I'm, I'm in. I'm heading to the desk to join this training. And William goes, oh, whoa, hang on a second. What are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to learn how to do property. And he said, I'll show you. And I thought I've, I've hit the winner here because William's got six houses in South Africa at the time. He knows what he's doing. He's going to mentor me for free. And um, you got to be careful who you get your advice from because yeah. I went back to East London and we started researching property in East London. And I quickly realized I didn't have a deposit to buy a house. It was too expensive. And William's response was, well, that's, I told you this, that's why I buy abroad. So then I looked at abroad. But the thing is, what didn't click in my brain was William wasn't buying abroad. William was buying at home. At home, yeah. He was buying in South Africa in the market he understood. I didn't go to Ireland. I didn't look at England. What I did was I went to Eastern Europe, to Turkey, Bulgaria, and Estonia. I actually did something else before that. So a few things went wrong. I did go to my uncle in Manchester, and it's not his fault, it's my fault, because again, I went there without understanding what I was doing. And I spent a day with my uncle showing me around property. And we were going to look, there was properties for like 20 grand at the time, rundown properties. And my uncle said, you don't want anything like that. There'll be loads of maintenance. You'd have to do a refurb. You'd need builders, et cetera. You want a nice finished family home. So I put an offer in on an 85 and a half grand property. That property was um, in a chain. So, what that, so the sellers had to buy something before they could sell. Yeah. And the sale went on for probably six, seven months and nothing happened. So with William telling me that you couldn't buy in London and my uncle trying to sell, to find him with me, my fault too, the wrong type of property because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and they've been in a chain. And now today I know always buy a rundown property or one that needs refurbishment, buy it if it's empty so you can move quick. All the concepts of what I do today 
and I was gone the, the complete wrong way because I didn't know what I was doing. And I put in some, I paid about 300 quid on solicitor fees. I'd been burned. The deal fell through. I thought to myself, I, um, I need to do what William's doing, go abroad. That was the other bit that made me go abroad. And I went to the property investor show at the Excel Center in London where there's thousands of like um, different um, and promoters. Uh, promoters selling stuff. And I went and bought property in, in Turkey, Bulgaria, and Estonia. And the actual Turkey one I found from a, from an Irish property and property promoter and the, the Bulgarian one and the and the Estonia one I found in the, at the Excel Center. The Turkey one was the best of the three, just like to point out. And um, it still lost me half my money, but it was the best of the three. Right. Um, right. The Bulgaria one, it got built, but it was completely crashed. If you've seen it today, it it, it was um the management company where the were ripping us off basically. We were getting no income, they were telling us it was empty. So we, under Bulgarian law, you could get together and hold an extraordinary general meeting and vote out the management company. There was 56 apartments all owned by English and Irish investors and a place called Three Mountains in Bansko. So the Three Mountains holiday village. Some of the Irish that might be listening to this will be owners. They can let you know. <laughs> um, and we, we got together and we voted out the Bulgarian management company. And we voted in an English couple that ran a, a management company in Bansko to run it. About six weeks after we did that, the old management company came back and with the, with the help of the local police and they ripped everything out of the complex, the doors, the windows, the kitchens, the bathrooms, everything. And what we realized was that we had just voted out the Bulgarian mafia, the oh, local God. Bulgarian mafia, and they had the police in their pocket. We went, we went, we went, 12 of us went out, not me, 12 people went out and we went to court. And the judge said, can you prove that the contents were yours because they just took back the contents. That's really, unreal. the windows are contents. It's a complete scam. <laughs> the, door, um, yeah. the Estonia one never got built. And I, I had been promised mortgages and stuff. Now, I didn't have any money, by the way. What I had done was I had put down about two grand, four grand, whatever, on each apartment where you have to make the payments as it's built. Yeah. So in a way, State the Estonia payments. one not getting built was good news. The Bulgaria and Turkey ones, I have to finish the payment. And Bulgaria was 89,950, so just under 90 grand. It got built and now it's value, completely valueless. So I have to take out and no mortgages with the crash in 07. A lot of Irish will have experienced similar. Um, and it wasn't a lot of people lost a lot more money than me. But for me, it was money I didn't have. I had personal loans. I had credit cards. One of the only things that kept me going was I had a personal loan with Barclays and with Halifax here in England. And I had a personal loan with the AIB in Ireland. And I couldn't tell anybody what I did, by the way. I couldn't tell my family. I was the guy that went off to England in a good job. Couldn't tell them, bring myself to say, I'm not, you know, those properties. They're, I'm in the shite. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. they're not worth what they're meant to be worth, etc. So I carried that with me for till about 2013. And then I got restarted in 2013. So I, I didn't even lose 100 plus grand. I lost 10 years, really, yeah. of opportunity. I, I can relate. Yeah, no. in a big way. Yeah, it's it burns you, but then it's it's how you bounce back from that is the big is the big kind of thing. And it's not losing money in property is just kind of a rite of passage. It's not, you know, from my point of view, it's just it happens and that's it. You just have to. It's how you deal with the loss uh, mentally, yeah. and and that's really the big thing. Um, yeah, and so those lessons, you, you arrived back in the U. Well, you've been in the UK the whole time, but you now have what a hundred and something thousand of a debt uh, hanging around your neck and uh, you start to think okay how am I going to get myself dig myself out of this hole is that where the strategies that have turned you know 
gone into your book kind of came yeah. about. You know? Pretty much, yeah. So 2009, I moved north. So Langer Work opened up a new factory in the Midlands and I moved up there with them. And part of the reason for moving there was I, was, I thought to myself, I was really negative about everything at this point. But if I move north, there'll be cheaper houses I can find that we started. When I moved north 2009, I still hadn't done anything by 2013. So I got rid of an excuse, but I still wasn't doing anything. And, and a lot of it's mindset. My mindset from losing the money was, um, if I do any more, it'll go wrong. I'm in the wrong areas. Um, the wrong, the, I don't have enough money. All these thought processes. Um, so you... When you start getting into that spiral of mindset, you can go more negative all the time. Yes. But suddenly, if you, it's all about layering. If you layer and layer and layer positive mindset on top of each other, you start to change the whole way you think. Um, but it doesn't change by being around people that um, that are just like you. So, like when I when I, I love my family and I love my friends and all that sort of stuff, I still like to have my friends in Ireland and everything. But if I spoke to my family, my mum, for instance, especially, she's like 86, 87 now. And if I spoke to her, well, I have, and um, she'd say, you can't do that. Why would you want, why would you want more than one house? You can only live in one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I remember with the, when my son was born, 20, 20 I got to get this right for my wife, 2017. And when my son was born in 2017, about my mum and my sister came over to, to see him. And we were living in Chesterfield at the time in the Midlands. And um, on the way up, we picked them up at the airport. This is 2017 when I was, when I was already out of my job. But um, I picked her up at the airport and we're driving up to our house on a Friday afternoon. And my mom says in the car, did you have to take today off work? And I'm like, no, I don't work, mom. And she didn't really pay any heed to that. But the next day I took her to my office. I've got a letting agency that we managed the property from. And this is Saturday afternoon and she's having a look around and she goes, is this where you work? And I was like, no, no, I own it. She said, what do you mean you own it? And I said, I own it. It's my business. She goes, well, who was here yesterday? And I said, the staff mum. And she looked at me really seriously and she said, Ara, Kevin, she, you know you'll never have any money if you have to be paying people. So <laughs> that's the mindset. The mindset the, that you're coming The world yeah. that I was brought up in. And when, when I make a mistake, if you did, they'd say, well, what do you expect? I told you so. You shouldn't have done that. You can't do that. Why would you want to do that? All this sort of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. And, so I've got my, fam my family, but I've got my property family as well. So the people like yourself, Gavin, people that understand investment, I take my investment advice from my investment family and I take my family advice from my family family. And yeah. well, you've got to make sure that you're around like-minded people. And I firmly believe you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Oh, so, yeah, that's a strong. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody out there listening to this now, if you don't have a couple of guys around you that you hang out with that are you know, mindset, you know, looking to grow, looking to invest, looking to do this kind of stuff. You're just, none of that is going to rub off on you. You're going to be hearing from the guys that, uh, why would you bother with that? Or what do you, you know, don't, don't take the risk. It's not worth the hassle and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You def definitely that would never work. Yeah. That would never work. And tell me this, Kevin. Uh, what like, about this one, Gavin? What would the neighbors say if they knew you made some money on that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's an old Irish thing, isn't it? Yeah. Was there a light bulb moment for you um, when suddenly you went, oh, okay, so this is how it works? Yeah, kind of. It was loads of little things. It took me a long time to come around from, like I was in, like I was proper, I had gone from, in 2002, three, um, I, I was naive and enthusiastic. And when you're naive and enthusiastic, you do stuff without the right knowledge, the right support, the right structure. So I just went forward and just, oh, you buy a house, it goes up in value. 
reality was I learned the hard way that that's not true. Not every house makes you money. Only certain types do in the right way. So I went from naive, enthusiastic to fearful and um, everything's a scam and everything's going to, everything goes wrong on me. And, and so completely opposite. But I actually went to an event in 2007 and I met a guy at the event called Cam DeVady. We sat in the audience. And then 2013, um, not, nothing had happened really. I went through to 2013. And in 2013, Progressive Property, who was the, the largest property education company here in the UK, they, run a, they ran a super conference, which was a big super conference in Wembley. They, they advertised it as Wembley Stadium. Wow. Now I like football. I'm, I'm a, for anybody, apologies for those listening in, I'm a Liverpool fan. Um, first stop off the boat and all that. But like football, um, like Liverpool, um, frustrating times a little bit at the moment, but happy with the last couple of years. And um, I thought, well, there's this big property event. It's at Wembley. At least I'll see the stadium if I see nothing else. So I thought I'll go. But it wasn't actually in Wembley Stadium. It was in a conference center next door. So they advertised it as Wembley, but it wasn't really. It was Wembley right. the town. Um, but when I showed up, there was about a thousand property people in the room. And Rob Moore and Mark Homer, the co-founders of Progressive, were up on stage at various points during the weekend talking about property and how they built their business. And, and I mean, they built it through 2008, 9, 10, in the middle of the biggest crash in history. Well, I was sitting back going, head in the sand, no point doing property now, it's too risky. The reality is you observe the masses do the opposite. Because if it's like Warren Buffett once said, if, if um, the taxi driver in New York tells you what stops to buy, sell. But what, what we're brought up to do is only do what everyone's doing rather than do the opposite that's working. So do things based on the right data. Yeah. And Rob and Mark, what they did on one of the days of the conference was they brought up onto stage about 100 people, all up from the audience. They all stood up on stage and they started handing the microphone around and they were their mentorship students. And as they handed the microphone around, they were all sharing about their results. And I'm sitting there going, oh, yeah, right. So stooge. That one's not a real person, whatever. That can't plant. work. This yeah. yeah, plant, whatever. And then they handed the microphone to Cam Devady, the same guy Your I met sitting in the room in 2007. And at the time, Cam Devady in 2007 made me feel good about myself because he was in around 150 grand a debt, more than me. And they handed the microphone to him. And he said that he had completely got himself out of debt. He was financially free. He had a multi-million pound property business. He was cash flowing over eight grand a month. And I'm sitting in the audience listening to this and I'm still in debt. And that was for me was probably the main catalyst that went, well, you know what? If he can do it, I can. Right. And then I started to um, invest in myself. And they, they say like formal education makes you a living. Self-education makes you a fortune. Well, I did formal education from, 20, from 15 until 37. So 22 years working and I built a debt. And in just a few years investing, I've built long-term wealth. So yeah. um, I took action, not because of anything other than the fact that I seen somebody else who I knew had been in debt, been successful. That was the switch in my brain that maybe this could work. Maybe it could even work for just someone like me, and not just for the person who's born with the golden spoon in the mouth. And I was brought up with all this stuff of, that's not for us. You have to be already wealthy to get wealthy. Money makes money. All this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I, was like, well, I don't have money to make money. And so um, that made me restart. And what I realized was the worst thing that ever happened to me, the worst thing that ever happened was losing that money in Eastern Europe. But it, it was also the best thing that ever happened to me. Because, and I see it today all the time. People with 30, 40 grand in the bank 
their first question is, what should I do with my 30 or 40 grand? And I always say to them, leave it where it is. Because it, Keep it. You, you're focused on spending your money. You've got some money, no property, and a job. You put that money into one house. Now you've got no money, one property, and a job. What's your plan for deal number two, deal number seven, deal number 21? Because if you don't have a plan for those deals, what's the point in spending all of your, your safety in it on the first one? And the whole point of property is not to put your life savings in. The whole point is to get money out. Yeah. And it's a mindset shift. So I, I, st- I had no choice but to start getting creative. And every deal I looked at back in 2014 was, how can I get the keys of this house if I've got no money? And the, that was the best thing that ever happened to me because I started to do deals with nothing. And today, everything I do, my whole principle is still, how can I do this deal if I've got no money? And it, it allows you to build a big business because your thought process is different. And around everything, even my letting agency, I've got a manager in the agency who's a joint venture partner with me. I got him for free because he had an agency already and he had a satellite office outside of town, like a, not a home office, but was in one of those like office buildings where you went to a little square section of office. Yeah. And I approached him and I said, do you want to come and move your, you yourself and all of your properties and all your systems into a building I've just secured in town. I'll put you on the high street. You you bring your own wage that you're currently making. Manage all of my properties in exchange for free, but the way 50-50. But because you're on the high street, we can uh, we'll split 50-50 profit on everything above that number. So I got a, a 35, 40 grand a year salary person for free, no money down, by going to somebody who needed me as much as I needed them. My whole concept is how can I do this for nothing? Yeah, and you and, got your ma- properties managed for free. Yeah. And you got my properties managed for free. So yeah. without, I was by doing that today. That's a seven grand a month saving on management fees in what I, with my current portfolio. That just took, looked after in house for free by a manager who cost me nothing, and he's winning because he's able to get a fifty percent uplift on what he makes. And when we got together in 2017, I was a one-man band and he was a one-man band. And now we've got four staff. And they're all paid for through that business. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a concept of nobody builds wealth with their own money. If you're going to do a 10 million pound project, you're not doing it with earned money in a job. So why not do a hundred grand project with not earned money in a job? Yeah, it's yeah. Just a Scale it up. Yeah. Yeah, it's a switch. So That's um, a great mindset, mindset shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. In property, it's not about the knowledge. I know loads of people. There'll be people listening to this that know stuff they don't use. Everyone knows stuff they don't use. It's about the, the mindset that you can. I always say this as well, there's an extra letter in can't. People say to me, I can't. Just get rid of the T and you can. Yeah, yeah. You can. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good point. Tell me this. The so in your book, you go, you outline 14 no money down strategies. And I was looking at some of these and I got to say, you know, coming from the kind of corporate sector where I do, I, this was actually quite new to me. And I was looking at this going, wow, are people actually doing that? And, and, and so I was looking through it and you got lease options and rent to rent and exchange with delayed completion and rent to own and tenant buyers and adding value. And I mean, I won't go down through the whole list, but can you stack rank um, like the, the most common ones that you use still today? Um, are there ones that are kind of always coming up and, uh, and, and have proved to be very profitable before for you? No. They're all, <laughs> they're all. They're all just... Well, I mean, what I mean by that is none of them are actually strategies. 
even though I might have called, sometimes I even call them strategies, but they're not. They're more, they're techniques or they're tools. So imagine you go to dig a hole. You've got to use a, a pick or a shovel or a, whatever tool you're going to use. Or if a plumber is going to fix a leaky tap, if the plumber went in to fix, fix a leaky tap in a house and they only brought a lump hammer, then make the problem bigger. And what happens in property is the strategies, really fundamentally the strategies are single let by to let where you let to a family. A house in multiple occupation where you let multiple people in one house by the room. Service accommodation, um, commercial conversion or commercial. So commercial property that you either keep as commercial or you convert to residential and maybe buy, refurbish and sell would be the strategies. Then the techniques to acquire the property. So lots of people know what they want to do, the strategy. I want to do service accommodation. So it's the tools, yeah. To do HMO. But the only tool they have is the cash in their pocket and they don't have enough. So the common problem is I know what I want to do. I don't know how to do it. So that my book might is not strategy, it's techniques. You can do a rent to rent and run it as HMO, as SA, as single S. You can do a lease option on HMO and SA and single S. So the techniques are cash, mortgage, lease option, rent to rent, joint venture, private investor, and exchange and delayed completion, assisted sale. They're just the technique to acquire the asset to do the thing you want to do. And, and most people don't have the, it's almost the, the key that opens up the box. They right. don't have the key to the box. The, that no money damn books is the key to the treasure. Brilliant. And tell me this, do, do, do you still apply these yourself in your business today? Yeah, absolutely. My whole, everything I do, every, like just like the Valetian agents, the first thing I do is how can I do this if it's none of my own money? And, and 50% of, if it's a joint venture, for instance, 50% of something is better than 100% of nothing. Right. Yeah, I get you. And I mean, just from the point of view of, I mean, I, I see a lot of people talking about this kind of stuff now. And But the, the way to do it is obviously it's a numbers game because, you know, you, you go and knock on somebody's door and, and start talking about acquiring it this way. And a lot of the time you're going to be told, just give us the, you know, just give us a proper deposit like anyone else. So you're you're basically looking for you know, the occasional person out of, you know, lots of different people that were, or will be open-minded to yeah. this kind of approach. Yeah, so a lot of people, um, they're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. I hear people all the time, they, they say, I'm going to do lease options. I'm going to go buy a house on a lease option. Um, and a lease option for anyone listening is where you, I mean, the concept, it's just the mindset again. Everybody seems to be comfortable in the traditional thinking that my mom and dad taught me of, Get a good job, get a good education, buy a property, get a mortgage, right? So you get a mortgage. You don't really own the home, but you trust me. Mr. The bank the does. You'll find out who owns it, right? You don't really own it, but it's okay to have a mortgage with AIB or Bank of Ireland or Barclays in the UK or whatever. But why not go to some, like, let's say you're the vendor, Gavin, and I go to you and you've already got a mortgage with AIB and you're... Property is worth 150 grand, as an example. Other numbers are available. You've got 150 grand property and you owe AIB 140 grand. Well, if I buy that house off you for 140 grand, you don't make any money. In fact, it'll probably cost you money because you'll have to pay solicitors and the agent to sell it and stuff. So what I do is I go to you and I say, how about I take over your debt? I buy your debt. So I buy the 140 grand of debt off you for a pound. 
and I give you your equity bit, which is a lot less than if I went to get my own mortgage. And your interest rate is likely a lot lower than mine. Because a lot of properties we take on, the interest rate is 1% above base, or some of them are 0.25 above base. Yeah, yeah. So base rate at the moment, 0.1%, as we're speaking, 0.25 above base is 0.35%. But if I go to a bank for a mortgage, I'm 3.69. So why would I go to a bank at 3.69 when I can just take over your debt at 0.35? It's just numbers. And, yeah. and the numbers are not difficult when you get your head around them. So when I speak to a vendor, don't get me wrong. No, everybody, right? Everybody wants to sell their house now for their asking price now. So the first job in a negotiation, and I've studied a lot of negotiation and, and you've got to practice. When I started this stuff in 2013, I got so many rejections. It was like 99 out of 100. But I was persistent to keep going. Today, I get about one deal in 10. So it's a different, I'm getting better. But um, when I go to speak to a vendor, my first job is not to buy the house. People go in and they start explaining lease options. You explain to somebody what a lease option is, you confuse them, and a confused mind says no. So all I'm doing is buying the house. I can buy it now, or I can buy it later. Just buying it. So, and what the first job is, to show them that if they want to sell their house now, then the only offer on the table is a low offer. So the 150 house, the first, if you try and say, I want to take over your mortgage, I want to look after your property, they're thinking, think about it, it's mindset, it's mentality. They're thinking, yeah. has this guy got no money? Why can't he just buy it? I've never heard of this before. So we always make a cash offer. I can buy your 150 grand house property if you're looking for 150. I can buy your property today for cash for 110 grand. And the 110 grand is because, I mean, we could be heading into a financial crisis, et cetera, et cetera. There's a reason for the 110 grand offer. However, I know that you don't want 110 for your house, Gavin. I want to try and get you as close as possible to your asking price. There is a way that I could get you closer to your asking price. If I could, is that something you'd be open to? Yes? Of and course. now you're nodding your head. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now this is in a podcast. You might not see Gavin nod his head unless it's on YouTube, but he just, I nodded my head to yes and Gavin did. That's what's called yes setting. So now I've got you in negotiation. Now I've got you saying yes, you'd be open to a closer offer. Then I explain how I could give you your asking price if I could pay a little bit now, a little bit during, and the rest at the end. And to make people understand it in logical terms, it's just like the lease on a car. You pay a couple of hundred quid to get the keys of a car. You get to drive it now. You pay a monthly payment every month to keep the car. And then you've got to, at the end, you can pay the final balloon payment to buy the car. But the bit that I'm paying at the end, Gavin, is not your money. It's the money you owe the bank. So if you sell it your 150 grand house today, Gavin, you're not getting 150 grand in the bank. The reality is you're getting your equity bit. Right. All I'm doing is I'm taking on your debt bit I'll service that debt for you and I'll clear it later, but I'll give you upfront your equity bit. Okay. Makes sense. Now, Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it's when you, when you logically remove the sell now option, because all that happens is people go, oh, no, 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 I want the money now. But if you've already positioned, it's what's called a contrast frame. If you've already positioned the contrast of the cash price now or the more later, that's how you get the deal.
Yeah, brilliant. Okay. I mean, there's an awful lot of people that will be interested in that. And tell me this, have you tried applying that here in the Irish market? Do you do any stuff back here? Yeah, I've got I've got some students in Ireland. We've got a couple of guys in the Widger Brothers in Waterford who are doing a lot of rent to rent over there. Rent to rent works really well, which I mean, a lot of people don't get their head around rent to rent. And um, rent to rent is very simple. It's where you take a property off a landlord on a lease, you lease it off them on the condition that you can rent it out to other people. So they know you're not moving in. Yeah. Now in Ireland, as a letting agent, you're, you have to be registered. But if you do rent to rent, you're not a letting agent. A letting agent, for instance, takes your house, Gavin. Let's say I'm a letting agent in Ireland. I take your property and I look for tenants for you. Okay, which means I have to be registered. But if I lease your property off you, I'm looking for tenants for me. Mm, I don't yeah. need to be registered. So very big, very important differentiation. It's all about the contract, how the contract is. And then we go, we find tenants for that property. So you take on a property, you pay a, a guaranteed rent to the landlord every month on the condition you can rent it out either as service accommodation or as a HMO, a multi-let property. And you benefit from the difference between what you make on the property and what I give you. But, and people go, well, why, why would I want to give a landlord money for a house and not own the house? But the landlord gets, why, why are you happy to pay a mortgage to a bank and not pay a re- guaranteed rent to a landlord? Technically, he's your bank on Same a fixed thing. rate payment for a period of time. And you make money. And then people say, well, if it was so good, the landlord would do it themselves. And this is all mindset stuff. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily. Not necessarily, because a lot of people are busy. My, my response to that is always, why do letting agents exist? Letting agents exist because a lot of landlords, they want the baby, but not the labor pain. They want the, prop, they want the asset, they don't want the monthly management. So it's a huge opportunity. Rent to rent huge in Ireland. Lease options. With all the people in Ireland in negative equity, not everyone, but a lot of people in negative equity, that's a brilliant opportunity to secure property for a pound. So you take over their mortgage, as you were saying, yeah. Take over their mortgage and then change the use of the property. So you either, you take over their mortgage, you single let it, you could um, you could put tenant buyers in, people that buy, so a tenant buyer rents it and buys it at the same time. So they take care of the maintenance, the management, there's no management fees needed, they, um, there's no voids, and they, they are working towards buying the property back off you at a higher price than you've agreed to pay for it, and you benefit from the, the uplift. So let's say I secure your house for 150 and I give it to a tenant buyer at 175, I make 25 grand. So you can use creative strategies to make lumps of money as well. Along the way, yeah. yeah. And do you find that you need special um, solicitors and legal yeah. advisors for this? Yeah. Absolutely. So solicitors is key. If you go to your normal solicitor on the high street that's written your family will, they'll look at you with like, what are you talking about? Two heads, yeah. Yeah, so it's typically you're looking for a commercial property type solicitor. And this stuff we're talking about is going to be brand new to most people. But if, you, if you've heard of Thomas Cook, the holiday company, they were, they were taken over for one pound at the, in December 2019. Right? Yeah. A pound on an option. Um, Philip Green, one of the richest guys in the UK, and um, you know, Topshop and all that Acadia Group stuff, he'd be on the papers in Ireland. He yeah. bought the shares of Topshop for a pound. Anyone who knows football, Ken Bates bought Chelsea Football Club in 1982 for a pound. Because of the dash, yeah. This is the best move ever. And only, only an Irish man could do this, by the way. Ray O'Rourke, I got lucky on this as well, Gavin, by the way, working for Lang O'Rourke. Because Ray O'Rourke was a subcontractor in East London. 
And when I joined him in 2002, he was in the middle of taking over John Lang International, the biggest construction company in UK history. Um, Ray O'Rourke bought John Lang International for a pound. Jeez. Because he bought the debt. Now, I was working in this environment and watching him. He bought Bison Precast, the Precast company in 1990, in, in 2008, sorry, for 98p because he wanted to beat the pound. <laughs> it's a, I love it. It doesn't have to be a pound. It can be any number. It's, it's, what, it's just symbolic proof of exchange. Yeah. Something must exchange hands to make the contract binding um, or legally binding. But Ray O'Rourke um, took on loads of companies on option agreements, buying the debt. And I thought to myself, you know what? I've been working, living in this environment for years. So we've been taking over companies on an option, buying the debt for a pound. So John Lang, he paid a pound and he took on 86 million of debt. Now, he didn't take on 86 million of debt with no plan. He, had to, he took on the staff, he took on the contracts, he took on the name, and he called it Lang O'Rourke because he bought the brand. He had yeah. to pay, four weeks later, he had to pay the, the debt of 86 million, he had to pay the wages of all the staff, etc. So it's a, a pound and a plan. Yeah. And yeah. with property, it's the same thing. I take on a three-bed house with a pound and a plan. I take on the debt, and then I put a tenant in to service the debt. I put a tenant buyer in to service the debt and buy it back off me at a higher price. Why did the owner not do that? Many people will be thinking this right now. But 25 minutes ago, many of you listening to this didn't know you could do this either. And yeah. that's why the owners don't do it, because they just don't know how. Or because their mom, dad, brother, sister, or the guy down the pub said to them, so why would you do that? It's risky. Yeah. And that's, why the 1% get, that's why the 1% get wealthy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's also skepticism. It's yeah. like people thinking that's way too easy. No, that's all bullshit. You can't do if that. If it was that know. easy, everyone would do it, Gavin. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. the very reason everyone doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's that. It's, it's, it's a vicious circle. Now, do you get home much? Um, I did like two or three times a year until um, COVID hit. So I've not been home since January 20. So I would hope my, my daughter was christened in, in Swinford in January okay. 2020. Wow. And we've not been home since. So it's what, eight, 15 months now. Um, mainly because my mom is in her mid 80s and I didn't want to um, bring anything just in case. I wouldn't be able to live with that. Of and that's course. the balance of what if something happens to her and I don't go home? And what if I go home and bring something? So luckily, she had her first jab um, about okay. three weeks ago. So hopefully, I can, I can be home for the summer. Yeah, yeah, it'd be nice. Um, I mean, we've talked some great mindsets uh, stuff there. I mean, are there any other behaviors that have served you well in the last few years? They, like um, changes in behavior, things that you did differently? Yeah, I shaved all the hair off. Works 100%. Um, no, it makes you tougher. No, um, <laughs> makes what tougher? <laughs> behaviors, yes. So um, er, a few things. So you, I, a lot of people say this thing about you have to fake it till you make it. I, I don't believe in that whatsoever, about faking it till you make it. You shouldn't fake anything. But you know what? You absolutely have to be it till you see it. And what I mean by that is, I used to get up every morning and literally, it's weird, it, it visualize, visualizing stuff. But I'd wake up every morning, I'd have a shower and brush my teeth as you should do. But while I'm having a shower, I used to say to myself, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, a millionaire, a millionaire. Now, a lot of people, they meditate meditation and just saying I'm a millionaire ain't worth shit, let's be honest, right? But you are being it. And um, when you go and meet people, you're starting off, you're, you're, you're thinking about where you want to be. And then when you get there, then it's, 
I'm a decamillionaire, I'm a billionaire, etc. You change the thought process. But when you meet people, I used to, if I go and meet people often, they come to property events and you say, you speak to them, you say, so what do you do for a living? And they say, oh, I'm a dentist, I'm a nurse, I'm, a, I'm an electrician, whatever. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're a property investor. And if you don't show it and be it, you'll never see it. Yeah. So we, we tell ourselves we're this thing, which is the job we do. No, you're not. You're a person with a goal, a vision, whatever it may be. You're a property investor that also works as an electrician. You're a property investor that's also a nurse. So, and, and being it to see it is about you believing within yourself that you are something before you are it. And telling yourself that it is important, but then you've got to take the actions. So yeah. every day I, I have a thing called a one, three, five. And I write down the, and a lot of people, this is so important that people do this because you make a list of jobs to do. And then your mind automatically lets you do the easy ones, the ones that are typically the non-income generating. So I've got a one, three, and five, and the one is the highest income generating task that I've got to do today. The threes are the income generating tasks that need to be done, but not before the one. And the fives are five tasks that I want to do, but don't need to be done. And I don't go to bed at night, 10 o'clock at night, if I, I check my list, and if I've got any ones and threes outstanding, I do not go to bed till they're done. They've got to be done before I go to bed. And I do that every single day as a routine. Also, um, I, 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 mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned Jim Rohn. He's an American um, yeah, no, motivational yeah. speaker from years ago. Jim Rohn used to say, uh, and this really helped me when I was negotiating deals and, and going to speak to vendors. Said if somebody, and he was relating it to not property, but I turned it into my property saying, um, if somebody is getting three deals out of 10 in my town, I'll beat them every single time because they'll view 10 houses and get three deals. But I'll view, I'm getting one in 10. I'll view 40 and get four. I'll just work harder than them. Um, so it's doing more than everybody else. If you do more, if you ask the right questions, and it's not even asking the right questions, it's asking enough questions. The saying is not, he who asks the right questions gets the answer. He who asks enough questions cannot avoid the answer. So always asking questions, always working harder than everybody else. Work hard enough to not have to work hard. And this meditating stuff doesn't work. You, it works with massive action. A lot of people forget that bit of it. The massive yeah, the action. action. There's a, bit, a book called Think and Grow Rich. They forgot to finish the book. Think and Grow Rich plus massive action. So the, the daily list, the daily actions that are focused on the higher income generating tasks, that really has helped me move forward and, and focus on not worrying about the admin type things. So they, they don't make money for you. You just suck up your time and make you feel like you've got a business. I feel busy, but the bank account ain't growing. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what I do day to day. That's great. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, let's get into the property training. I know you're now doing things like masterminds and stuff like that. Tell us a bit more about that. I mean, it's obviously it's kind of a side. It's it's like a side job related around property. Um, when did you get into all that kind of stuff? OK, so um, 2013, I started learning as a student. So 2013, 14, 15, 16, something I was building my business. And then 20, 
17, in, in middle of 16, but really from 17, and Progressive had seen what I was doing. So Progressive Property, Rob Moore and Mark Homer, seen the sort of, the word, when I say seen, we've got a community called the Progressive Property Community on Facebook, and they were seeing me post about deals I was doing and stuff I was doing, and just watch, they watched the students and stuff, and they said, the stuff you're doing is creative, you know, there's nobody that really teaches our students about it, apart from when you share bits and stuff. Do you want to teach people how to do it? And I said, well, I suppose, um, let's see. So I came in January 27, in March 2017. So March 2017 or January, no, January 2017, March, I started at a mastermind. In January 17, I ran my first training ever, uh, which was a three-day event to about 13 people. 13. And there was more progressive people there watching than there was um, actual delegates. And everyone had to do feedback forms. And I thought, well, this is not going to go well. Um, and based on the feedback, thankfully, they said, you want to do it again? So we did it again and again and again. And then it, before lockdown, I was running that three-day event. In 2019, I ran it 16 times. So 2017, yeah. I think I did six. 2018, I did probably eight or nine. And then 2019, I did 16 of those events. And, um, and then lockdowns got in the way. Um, I did a few in the beginning of 2020. But that was it, all about these creative strategies, teaching people. And then the masterminding is it's like a mentorship. But instead of one-to-one, -one, I do a, a group mentorship. So I, I tried one-to-one -one mentoring, and it's kind of good. But the problem with one-to-one -one mentoring, when I did it, at least for myself, is I'd speak to my mentor, and I'd be like, yeah, really? You really do that? You really expect me to do that? I don't think you really do that. I'm still a bit negative. Right. But when you have a mastermind, you sit there with a mastermind, a group of people around the table. And you speak, let's say you're one of the people, Gavin, and you say, I haven't done anything. Um, I didn't take the time. And then it comes to the second person and they say, I've got this deal done. I could tell you for uh, 10 years that you could get deals done. But as soon as the person sitting next to you that you met a few weeks ago and had, you knew had done nothing, has done a deal now suddenly you believe it's accountability it's yeah yeah the accountability but also not just accountability the belief you see people look at me today and go oh it's easy for you they forget the whole story they forget about the challenges i had they forget about all the determination i i used to sleep in a car at night time after being out dropping leaflets i'd sleep in the back seat of the car hoping nobody would smash a window when i'd be in a northern town in england and not able to afford to stay in a, in a um a B &B. B &B or something so i drop leaflets in the evening and then sleep in the back seat of my car people don't see that stuff in the background of what people do to try and get ahead they just say oh it's okay for you you've got a business you've got stuff but as soon as the other friend their friend their pair has got a deal done the belief layers and layers and layers and it suddenly now they start to do stuff because they don't want they'll, they'll show up to their mentor and say they've not done anything because in a way they, they think the mentor doesn't expect them to do it but they're not going to show up to their friends without having done something. So masterminding works really well. It's not Kevin's mind, it's everybody's mind. That's brilliant, yeah. I mean, I definitely I've seen it work. I joined a, a thing with a guy called Kevin, uh, or not Kevin, with uh, Daniel Priestley. And um, yeah. Daniel's a great guy uh, with KPI, as it's called, the Brand Accelerator. And um, we went along to that. And it's the same kind of concept where at the each month we would meet and he would say, OK, anyone want to share any wins? And you'd have guys saying, oh, I applied that from last month. And, and now, you know, this has happened. And when you hear it, you kind of go, crap, I could have done that. And I could have, you know, had that benefit or that win. And uh, and so it does. It puts the kind of fire under you to kind of get off your ass and kind of get into action. 
You don't want to be the one sitting there doing nothing. You yeah. want to be the one doing the action. All right. Well, in terms of um, the next point I wanted to get into is now that you're doing podcasts and, and YouTube and so on, your, your profile has increased. Have you found that that has helped you um, having a higher profile? And, and Clubhouse, obviously, you've been quite uh, visible in, in Clubhouse. How is this helping you in your business? Is it just bringing in more deals and stuff? Yeah. So for, for most of Ireland, they're probably like, what's Clubhouse? Is it a new nightclub? Is there something <laughs> yeah. open in lockdown? Um, yeah, it's a social media app. That, um, it's an audio social media app. Um, has it helped? Clubhouse has got access to more people, obviously, people like yourself, people that wouldn't have known us before. Um, my book raised my, brand, my profile quite big, my brand and my, my, my following and stuff in the UK. So a lot of people with doing regular YouTube videos and um, posting on social media and stuff. I've, I had a, quite a good following, but Clubhouse is it's just different people that increases the, the following. Has it helped in business? Um, not really yet, to be honest. It probably will. I do it anyway because I enjoy it. In terms of I don't really have a plan around Clubhouse apart from um, meeting more people, sharing with people. I, I actually found it easier to, like I've done a lot of private investor finance and joint venture finance and stuff on deals. And I found it easier. And this is the, the paradox. A lot of people go, oh, it's easy for Kevin. He's got such a big brand. Everyone is, it's probably easy for him to raise money. I found it easier to raise money when I was a student. Right. Because when I was a student, people seen me as somebody they could approach. But now, because I'm the brand that I've got, people go, well, he would never want to borrow off me. Why would he want to do a deal with me? So actually, I, I find that not as many people approach me anymore saying, I want to work with you, I want to do stuff with you, because it's, it's, it's a higher brand. It's, so it's got the opposite effect of what many people would think. It's right. actually easier for somebody starting out to raise money because they're at the same level as the other people. And it's, it's like we can speak to each other easier and get and stuff, even though I'm not that hard to speak to. It's the perception of what people think because they think they're too far ahead of something. Yeah. Weird. So, um, and all the things, I'd say, Gavin, all the things that make people think they can't do it are all the reasons why they've actually got a better shot. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's it's so true. It's it's like a complete mindset flip. You have to just the stuff that you're hold that's holding you back is the stuff that you need to kind of like put behind and just get on with it. Um, it's interesting what you said about your book there. Uh, one of the things Daniel Priestley used to say is that the book that will change your life the most is the one that you write yourself, yeah. and uh, and and you've you've seen that. Um, we're we're coming near the end of our hour, uh, Kevin. I I was sorry, Gavin. Yeah, I was going to say the problem with negative people is they find a problem for every solution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another mindset flip as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, tell us this, in terms of the best advice that you ever get, have you got any wisdom to share with us today? The best advice I ever got, um, just do it. Uh, literally, like uh, so many times when I got mentored originally here at Progressive in 2013, I came in with the excuses. Can't do that. Nobody would do that. They'll never accept that. And it was my mentor just saying to me, Kevin, will you just do it? Just, you're paying for my advice, right? You've invested in a mentorship with us. You're paying for me to tell you what to do. Stop arguing it and just do it. Get on with it. Yeah. Stop the it. overthinking it. Yeah. Yeah. Stop overthinking it. Just get it done. And uh, put, do yourself, put yourself at risk of success. Do you think that COVID has obviously impacted so many people? Do you think it's going to have a negative impact on the market going forward? Or do you think that, um, 
I mean, have you got any thoughts on where we're going, where the market's going, predictions? Um, I think that whether it goes up, down or sideways, there's going to be property deals out there. Um, more, more deals are probably, I kind of want the market to come down, even though people go, oh, they want the market to always go up. But if the market's gone up, I'm paying more for property. If the market's come down, I'm still, I've still got what I've got, but I can get more. So it'd be great if it came down. It'd be great if there was a bit of a crash. It would be amazing. And what you buy, the fundamentals are pound cost averaging. So yes. if you buy a property for 100 grand and the market drops to 90, buy again at 90. And if it drops to 80, buy again at 80. And if it drops to 70, buy at 70. And if it drops to 60, buy at 60. And when it goes back up, if you bought at 190, 80, 70, and 60, you've averaged 80 grand purchases. Yes. The 101 and the 61 is 80. The 91 and the 71 is 80. And when that market comes back up again, it'll not only go above the 80, it'll go above the 100. We've seen it, markets recovered from 2008. It's come back up, probably more expensive in Dublin now than it was in the biggest crash in history. Yeah, it, they it recover. Has. And then in 2030, people are going to say, I wish I bought property in 2021 or 2022. And some people will look back and go, those that did got lucky. They didn't get lucky because luck is labor under the correct knowledge. They took action. It's the labor bit with yes. the correct knowledge. So um, will the market crash? I'm not, I'm not so sure if it will or not. It might. But it's, it's fundamentals of supply and demand. Um, I think there'll be a bit of a crash, a bit of a drop. I'm hoping there is. I'll be ready when there is. Yeah. But whether there is or not, we, I, I do not buy property in the hope that it goes up in value. We buy value. We buy the worst house on the average street. Don't buy the worst house on the worst street, right? You'll get shot or stabbed collecting the rent. <laughs> you, buy, you buy the worst house on the average street. And if you buy that 80 grand house that, that don't spend 20 grand to make it worth 100, sorry, spend 20 grand and you spent 100. You buy 80, spend 20, that's 100. And then it's worth 120. If the market drops 20 grand, your 100 still protected. Yeah. So, and whether that be 300 grand, 400 grand, whatever number in your area, you buy something that you can force the value on. And you can do that in any market. So the fundamentals of property, buying something that is cosmetically distressed that you can add value to, turning a one bed flat into a two bed, a three bed house into a four bed, a property that needs a new kitchen, a new bathroom, cosmetic decoration, that you can add value to, you're gonna be protected no matter what the market. So I'm not really worried if it goes up, stays the same, goes down, I'm focused on securing property that are valuable. Cheap does not mean valuable, by the way. Cheap yeah. means cheap. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a people business, this, the yeah. property business. And it's all about you listening to the needs of the person who owns the property and trying to figure out how can you solve their problem. And that's what it boils down to. Yeah. Um, before we go, uh, Kevin, just I, I often ask this question of people. You, you know, the, the age that you are now, looking back 24. to your 24, that's it, like not far off me. Plus the, VAT um, and tax. <laughs> the, um, the advice that you would give to yourself uh, when you were back when you were 20 today, knowing what you know now, what would you say yeah. to your 20-year-old self? Um, stop chasing the money. Stop, chasing, stop the money. chasing the money. I, I tried to become a millionaire in six months and I found debt. Chase the education. And... Like I was in, a, in six figures plus of debt at 37 and I was a multimillionaire at 40. So um, when, I, when I was in my early 20s, I was chasing the money. What I should have chased was the knowledge. 
if I had chased knowledge for two or three years, knowledge, network, connections, I'd have been a multimillionaire at 27, 28. But because I chased the money, I found debt. Because I chased the non money without the knowledge, the support, the connections, the education, all that stuff. Um, money, there's more money in the world than there's ever been. It's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's enough to make everyone on earth a billionaire, a billionaire, everyone. So they printed a trillion pounds in the UK last year, a trillion pounds. I don't know how much they printed in Ireland, but a lot as well. And um, money is everywhere. And the chasing the money doesn't get you the money. Chasing the connections, the contacts, the, the deals, marketing to, to have. It's not going looking for a house. It's actually making sure that if anybody's looking to sell, they know how to find you. Yeah, yeah. It's the, the connection, the knowledge, the network. Don't chase the money would be my advice. That's great advice. Yeah. And I totally get you on the whole education thing. One of my podcasts on this, uh, this podcast, a couple of episodes back, I talked about the value of a mentor and, uh, and things like that. And, you know, I think about some of the, the failures that I've made and some of them were such simple mistakes that like could have easily been avoided had you had somebody with a bit more experience looking, working, you know, having your back basically and saying, Gavin, you're getting a bit kind of uh, ahead of yourself there, you know, take a step back. And if I had paid that guy 20 grand a year, even I would have probably saved me a half a million or a million or whatever it was that I, you yeah. know, so anyway, Kevin, how can people find you if they want to connect or follow your content? Um, you can write me a letter. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Send it by uh, snail mail. Yeah. <laughs> Swinford's um, like uh, county mail. So Ke Kevin McDonnell, um, no money down top of investing the book. There, you can find me that way. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Clubhouse, any social media apps. I've got an email address, Kevin at kevinmcdonald.co.uk or kevin right. at kevinmcdonald.co.uk um, but I'm not the burger, right? Not Mac, that, that Ronald dude has ruined my life. If you're okay. looking for Ronald McDonald, you won't find me. So it's M-C-D-O-N-N-E-L-L -L, so Donnell. Donnell. Not, not the no. burger chain. Not so Kevin McDonald, no A, just M-C and you'll find me. So Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Yeah. I'm going to put links. Anyway. Yeah. I'm going to put links to, to your book and to um, your, uh, your, you know, your, I'll put in the email if you want and, uh, and the various links and stuff like that. So Kevin, it has been a super pleasure. I really enjoyed catching up with you and uh, I, and uh, looking forward to, to doing it again soon. You too. Cheers. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. And um, yeah, good luck with the podcast and see you soon. See you in real life soon. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kevin McDonald. It's, um, I hope you agree with me that it's pretty valuable and um, we really should reach out and get that book because it's full of all of these, as Kevin put it himself, tools and techniques for having a conversation with a person who's selling a property and trying to get the best possible deal. It's not always the straightforward hello, I want to buy your property, oh yeah, here you go, or whatever. Sometimes you have to come at it at a slightly different way. And the most important thing to remember is that it's a this is a people business. And unless you can solve the problem of the person who's selling the property, you're unlikely to be able to find a sale price and agree a deal. So that's it for episode 47 of Behind the Facade. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, my number one ask is for you to uh, stop what you're doing right now and leave a review 
or alternatively if you would like to share the episode out with someone who you think might benefit from it in the show notes you're going to find links to the various things discussed today the book the audible link i'm going to put a a link to progressive property and i'll also include kevin's direct email as he suggested it and um, if you have any questions or topics that you'd like me to cover in future episodes as always please reach out to me via the uh, facebook group behind the facade community what i've also done is i've created a behind the facade clubhouse uh, club now as well so if you are on clubhouse look for behind the facade club in the club section and you'll find it there and if you join that the next time i'm having a room i'll be inviting members only to that room Um, otherwise the usual place to find me social media my handle as always hasn't changed is gavin j gallagher and that includes my youtube channel where i'm starting to post more and more so if you'd like to go over to my youtube channel and hit subscribe i'd really appreciate it i am making a bit of a push there this year i'm hoping to put quite a few helpful videos out and a lot of the videos will be shortened versions of what we've talked about here so i'll be taking the best from this podcast and turning it into like a five minute video or something like that so hopefully that will be useful for you guys so i'll see you in the comment section in the youtube videos very soon and lastly as always uh you can add your name to my email list if you want to catch up on various events and challenges and books and whatever it is that i'm up to so you'll get that at www.gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go all right folks great to see you all again and look forward to seeing you next week Mm